Well, again, welcome, welcome, welcome to Covenant. We are so glad that you're here with us. We do have pads in every pew. Please do grab those, both visitors and members alike. Um, We'd love to have record of your visit. Would love to get to know you a little bit better if you're visiting Covenant. Uh, Page 21, we've got a lot of announcements. Advent is a very busy, busy season. I can't possibly cover all of those in the 43 seconds that Robbie just gave me. Uh, We do have Advent journals right out in the lobby. Please grab one per family. Uh, Go through these with your family. They are, uh, we have children's devotionals and and, uh, worship in it as well. So please utilize uh, that. Um, We do have our nursery bonus fund. We have some wonderful, wonderful ladies uh, that serve us in the nursery and just a, a way to bless them. You'll see some other events there, um, lessons and carols coming up, a congregational meeting coming up, a lot of other things, so please just take notice um, of those. But again, welcome to Covenant. Kurt Sin, one of our elders, is going to come and pray for us now. Morning. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Please pray with me. Father, we affirm you are almighty and the maker of heaven and earth. May our thoughts, words, and deeds be shaped by that reality and your will for our lives. Thank you, Father, that you are indeed faithful to your promises. Jesus, that you have cloaked us in your righteousness. Holy Spirit, that you will one day bring us all to sanctification. Creator of all life, we give you thanks and praise for the births of Elliot Jean Sivils, born to Maria and Jake, proud grandparents Eddie and Stephanie Alonzo, and Diane Cole Armstrong, born to Mary Jane and Wade, big brother Walton, and proud grandparents Ben and Jana Walker. God, you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. For any who are suffering in our body this morning, may they have a deep sense of your presence and find comfort and peace in you. Be with the McKnight family, Tom and Kate, and their children Lawson, Alice, and Adams, and the entire family as they mourn the loss of Tom's mother, Sharon. We are thankful for all the ways that you are at work in your kingdom and how you equip and call servants into mission here at home and throughout the world. We ask for your continued blessings and provision for Tom and Connie Edwards as they share the gospel and provide desperately needed health care in Fairfield with Hope Health Center. Bless Christmas in Fairfield being held there this Saturday. May the love of your son Jesus be felt and embraced. Now we give you thanks for our brother and shepherd, Robbie. Bless the teaching and hearing of your word. We pray all these things in the matchless and mighty name of your, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Advent is about waiting in hope with thanksgiving. 
Our national holiday, Thanksgiving, is right in our rearview mirror. And that means very recently we were sitting around with lots of people that we love, that love us, uh, eating great things. Maybe we took pictures and posted them in various places so everyone knows that we had the best Thanksgiving ever. But behind those images, if we were lonely going into the holidays, we felt it more acutely. And if we were grieving the loss of loved ones, the holidays make us feel these things more acutely. And even if everyone we wanted to be with us was at the table with us on Thanksgiving, we're still humans, very frail, quick to fail. And those beautiful moments are quickly spoiled as soon as one person takes that attitude that drives us crazy. And of course that person could not have been us. Thanksgiving reminds us, our holiday Thanksgiving reminds us in the providence of God, we are richly blessed, so we give God thanks. Advent reminds us that we're living between the arrival, the coming of a great king who's already come for us. We have lots of things to be thankful for since he's already come, and we're already living in hope and gratitude because he's coming again. But just because it's Advent, because it's Advent, we realize we're living in between these two arrivals of the King. And that tells us if we're paying attention that things aren't perfected yet. Things are already, our relationship with God is healed. If we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven. We belong to God. But our King, when he comes back, has a lot more to do more of promises of, from God to be brought f- to fulfillment. And those Thanksgiving feasts at their very, very best, if you take all the sin and misery and struggle and sorrow and suffering out of it, then that's what it'll be like on that great and final day when the king comes for the second time. And so here's part of what Advent is. It's not just a warm up to Christmas. During Advent, we remember that Israel of old waited and waited and waited for God to bring about his promises, to bring his promises to fulfillment. And for us now who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we confess he's already kept his promises in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has gone away and he will come again. And we're waiting, waiting, waiting for his sure return. That's what Advent is about. It reminds us to be people people who wait and hope. Today's passage will teach us how to wait and hope and help us think about the two Advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read from Isaiah 42. Uh, Just for the season of Advent, we're going to read the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is the first one, Isaiah 42. We'll also read next week from Isaiah 49. And then we'll look at a part of Isaiah 50. And then at the fourth week, We'll look at Isaiah 52, 13 through the end of chapter 53. So four songs about a servant, a a special, mysterious, unnamed, remarkable servant that Yahweh promises that he will send. And so let's read Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, 18 through 20 today, and then we'll move along. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom 
my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Hear, you deaf. And look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant. Or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of Yahweh. He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shine your light upon us as we look at this passage today. Remind us who you are, who we are, that we can rest in the glorious work of your servant and also look for his return with gratitude and hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I got three points today, surprise, surprise. And uh, I hope the first point takes three minutes, second point takes three minutes, and the third point will only take about two or three hours. So here we go. Uh, Number one, I want you to know that God has always had a very special people for his mission for all things, always from the very beginning. All right, so here's the first point. From the very beginning, God took Adam and Eve, and in chapter one, here's what God says to Adam and Eve. You are royal. You're my rulers. I set you over everything I've made, all the places and everything that fills it. Rule, subdue the earth. You're in charge. You're my upper management. In chapter two, God comes to these royal rulers in a garden Eden and says, here's how you're gonna live out your royal rule. Genesis 2.15, you're gonna serve and take very good care of the place where I put you. And so God says to these royal rulers, Adam and Eve, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Here's God's vision and mission for the whole earth. Two God lovers are gonna bring other God lovers into the world. God is gonna bless them and through their faithfulness, through their obedience, God's gonna bless the whole creation. They're gonna begin the garden, but the God lovers are gonna bring more God lovers in the world. They're gonna spread out, they're gonna fill the earth and the whole earth is gonna throb with the glory of the creator God as it should. 
Well, later on, uh, God comes to a man named uh, Abraham and tells him that he's going to have uh, some very special children and God's going to bless Abraham and through Abraham and his descendants through his seed, God's going to bless not just their family, but all the families of the earth. Awesome. Later on in the providence of God, that family ends up in Egypt, a very royal, uh, glorious, impressive place, but they end up getting enslaved and they have a very miserable life for a long time. But eventually the true God, the creator of the, of the whole earth, Yahweh, bears his holy, ar- holy arm. He pulls Israel out of Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea. He brings them into the wilderness. He brings them before him at Mount Sinai. And he says, the whole earth is mine. So you are my royal priesthood. Do you see it? Over and over and over again, God has a very special people and a mission for those people is to spread his goodness, his wisdom, to know him and to spread his blessing into all things. That was point one. Are you ready? Point two, they all failed. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And instead of, I mean, whatever controls the heart of humanity, it spreads to all things. That's God's creation order. But they didn't obey God. And so instead of blessings spreading spreading to them and through them, curses spread through them to all things. That's one angle on Thanksgiving when it was at its worst. Uh, Christy and I tried to hang Christmas lights yesterday. We felt the effects of the fall, okay? (laughs) Adam and Eve rebelled against God. It broke our relationship with God, ourselves, each other. And the mission God has for us to rule over all things for his glory, that the whole creation and all the families of the earth would throb with the glory of God. Everything's broken through Adam and Eve's rebellion. God came to Abram before he changed his name. And Abram was married to a barren woman who hadn't, couldn't have children. They were, they were the emblems of human weakness. But God said, hey, I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And their family ends up in Egypt. God rescues that family. It's Israel, the children of Jacob. And God takes them from that place where he says, all the earth is mine and I'm gonna, um, and you're my royal priesthood. He ends up putting them in the promised land. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And he's gonna make them like the whole land, like a a throbbing temple. He's gonna put his temple in the middle, middle of it and he gives them a royal line, a priesthood and prophets. They know what God says. They've got leaders that he appoints and they've got priests to teach everybody what he says. And they get into that promised land and they get big Thanksgiving suppers a little too frequently and they forget God. He blesses them so much that they forget where the blessings come from. They they love the blessings and they forget the God who gave it to them. And it's really crazy. They end up becoming like the nations around them. The nations around them actually carved gods for themselves. They made them with their own hands. They, they carved their ears. Well, those are, those are deaf gods. And if you become like those gods, you'll become spiritually deaf. They, they carved the eyes for their gods. Those gods can't see anything. And if you worship those gods, you become like what you worship, so you become spiritually blind. Uh, they, they, the nations around them, they were so committed to their 
fake gods who made empty promises and never fulfilled them that they even sacrificed their own children for the sake of those foreign gods. They, Israel, God's covenant people became incredibly weak, not a source of blessing to the nations. And ultimately what God had the prophets come to them and say is you've forgotten the covenant You've broken the covenant and you're lying about me to the nations. When the nations look at you, they don't see the truth. They see falsehood. And you've been worshiping the idols of the nations around you. So now you have become spiritually blind and deaf. So look with me at the second part of our passage today on page 14 in your worship guide or in your Bible, Isaiah 42, 18 to 20. Here's the end of our second point. In the book of Isaiah, Yahweh has a servant and sometimes that servant is Israel, the people of God themselves. And here's a very clear place where Yahweh is talking about his special people, Israel. They're supposed to be a conduit of his blessings, but they're not. Here's why. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf is my messenger whom I send. See, you're my messenger and I've sent you. But you're deaf. Who is blind as my dedicated one? Oh, Israel, oh, servant of Yahweh, you're my dedicated one, but you don't see. You're blind. Who is Israel, Yahweh's servant? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. All the evidence of Israel's spiritual condition is lying around. Israel, God's covenant people can see the evidence, but they can't draw the right conclusion that we are sick. We're not the solution. We're part of the problem. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The truth, the words from God are coming from everywhere, but Israel, God's covenant people can't hear. You're supposed to be a conduit of my blessing by walking with me in faithfulness, but you're lying about my goodness to your neighbors, your enemies, and the people around you. They don't know me because of you, because you are walking in spiritual blindness and death. You've become like the gods that the nations worship because you worship them yourselves. And so here's, that's the end of the second point. It took a little more than three minutes. All the special agents of God who were supposed to embody, enjoy and embody God's blessing for the goodness of all the nations and the whole creation, they all failed. Everyone failed. And here's part of what these four servant songs we'll be reading together during Advent are about. God had another special agent up his sleeve. And when you read it in Isaiah, I want you to understand there's some tension. There's some mystery here. Isaiah 42 doesn't say the eternal God has an eternal son who he later is going to send, though that's what he's talking about. It's mysterious because it happens hundreds of years before Jesus Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. It's mysterious because God is revealing his plan long before it happens. God has a special agent to send and the special agent God has to send ends up being his very own son. And Isaiah 42, especially verses one through four are largely about that. But there's tension, and I don't want to just race past it. There's tension in the book of Isaiah because sometimes the servant is Israel. 
Israel who fails to be an obedient servant. Israel who had one job and failed. But there's this other unnamed, mysterious servant woven all through the text. And that's really interesting. There's actually a double tension. When Yahweh through Isaiah is talking about the servant, here's one tension. Is it Israel right now or is it this other mysterious figure that's coming? That's tension one. Here's the other tension. In the book of Isaiah, it wasn't just that Israel had failed, the covenant people of God had failed, but the whole line of the king itself had failed. God had a king a line of kings from the line of David to lead his people in faithfulness so they'd be a people of righteousness and justice. But the, but the kingdom itself failed. It split in two like the nation did. And then even the line in the southern kingdom, the very descendants of David, they were just as rebellious. Sometimes they were the leaders of the false worship and the rebellion. And so in the first part of Isaiah, which obviously we're not going to read 41 chapters today. In the first part of Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet is giving God's people all kinds of bad news. Oracles of judgment. That's what prophets did. They came and told God's people the truth. Prophets were like oncologists. If they saw the cancer, they knew it was their job to tell God's people the truth. And so that's what Isaiah did. And all through Isaiah truth-telling, truth every now and then, there's a passage of hope. Oh, the, the royal line of David, uh, it's sick. Yeah, it's going to be a stump. It's going to be lopped off. But there'll be a shoot. It'll come from the stump, from that stump, that royal line. And so there's a lot of messages of judgment, but there's a little words of hope. And some of the words of hope are about the royal line the true king. So that's the second tension. One tension Isaiah is who's the servant? Is it Israel or the special mysterious figure? The other tension is, all right, we're waiting for a king. We're waiting for a king. Well, what about the servant person? Are we waiting for a king or are we waiting for a servant? Which one is it? So there's a lot, lots and lots of tension. How did Isaiah know that God's people were wrecked, that they were crooked? Well, God called him to the office of prophet. And remember with me real briefly what happened when God called Isaiah. Isaiah was one of these people who had a lot of access uh, to, the, to royal places. He was from Jerusalem. He might've been a relative of the, of the kings, but he had a lot of access to royal places. So he was often in Jerusalem, in the royal city, in Zion and around the throne, the earthly throne in Jerusalem. He, he had great access to it. And at one point, remember in Isaiah 6 where he narrates his call, he had access to another throne room. Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the hem or the train of his garment filled the temple. That's interesting. He's got a royal vision of God in his throne. And God's throne room in heaven is a temple at the same time, royal priesthood. And Isaiah says, I saw him. And then Isaiah says, and I saw these winged seraphim, these burning creatures that apparently existed for the glory and worship of God. And, and they, they exist to be in God's holy presence. And even though that's their calling and purpose, they have six wings because even though they exist to be in the holy presence of God, they can't look upon him and all of his holiness and glory. So with two wings, they cover their eyes. 
They cover their faces in God's holy presence. And with two wings, they cover their feet because they can't be in there with uncovered feet because God is so holy. With two wings, they keep themselves afloat in God's presence and they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when Isaiah has this true vision of the true heavenly throne room, what is his response? Woe is me. I'm undone. I ought to be canceled for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among the people, a people of unclean lips. How does he know this? For I've seen the Lord. I've seen him in his glory. I've seen him in his holiness. And when I've seen him in his holiness, it's obviously clear to me, I'm not holy. I'm not part of the solution. I'm part of the problem. We're all part of the problem. And so Isaiah sees clearly, he sees the truth. He sees what all must see, that God alone is holy and righteous and just and good and we are not. And so Isaiah sees it and because Isaiah sees it and he's led and filled by the spirit, he tells God's people the truth over and over and over again, which finally, after 2.2 times, leads me to the third point. God does have this very special agent to accomplish what others failed to accomplish. Every other agent was crooked, but he was straight. Look at it with me in Isaiah 42, one through four. Listen to God's commitment to this very special agent, unnamed here, clarified later. Listen to how committed God is to this special agent. Behold my servant whom I uphold, God's fully committed. My chosen in whom my soul delights. Oh, God delights in this one, this special agent. I have put my spirit upon him. And look at the mission of the servant. What will he do? He will bring forth justice. God's mishpat, God's good, righteous, and just ways to the nations. Adam and Eve failed, Abraham failed, Israel failed, but this special agent, this servant will bring God's righteous justice, God's good and holy ways to the nations. And look how we do it. Verse two, he will not cry loud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Not by shouting down his enemies. He won't out tweet them. It's not how he does it. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench with great gentleness. He won't be the loudest. He will be profoundly gentle. A bruised reed, what's that worth? The cattle went by and snapped the reed as it went into the waters. A faintly burning wick, that's all that flax tied together to turn into a lamp with a long uh, piece running down it into the oil and by osmosis it goes up and lights that lamp. But once it's faintly burning, I mean, toss that thing out. What good is that? Replace it. No, 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 not this servant. He will bring forth justice to the nations, but look at his gentleness. He doesn't run past the weak and the heavy burden, but no, no, he lifts them up. And includes them in his righteous kingdom. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Look at that determination. Oh, he will get it done. 
he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he's established justice in the earth. Note three times, he will bring forth justice. No one can stop him. He will bring forth justice. He is gonna bring God's good ways from heaven to earth. He's doing that. And look at this little poetic metaphor. And the coastlands wait for his law. That's a great ancient word ancient world way to say the most distant peoples who were clearly blind and deaf because they've never known God. You know what? They're made in God's image. They're actually waiting for God to come and teach him his ways. This servant is going to come and by the spirit of God and by God's own commitment, this servant is going to come and accomplish justice for the nations. He's going to bring it. He's going to change the way the whole world works. And he's going to do it with gentleness. In our circles, we often talk about God's love and grace for the sinner, but we see here the servant has got grace and love for the sinned against. He's going to come and take those who've been greatly wounded and include them. He's going to come and turn sinners back to himself, but also bind up the brokenhearted and bring them together as well. Like for 15 seconds, let's be honest that sometimes when we, we put our hope in the biggest days with the biggest meals and everything's supposed to be perfect. Sometimes on days like that, we feel most acutely just how imperfect things are. The gap between our expectations and reality uh, sometimes slams us in the face. And, and part of the struggle is just getting everyone on the same page and to cooperate and do something wonderful together. It's really, really hard. It's really hard to get one family to cooperate and do something awesome together for one day. If you can't admit it, I'll admit it for you. But look at the servant. He's going to come and bring God's good, righteous justice to the nations. And no one can stop him. And he's bringing the weak with him. He's bringing people from the margins in. And he's going to accomplish this mission. No one can stop it. He's fully committed. And he'll do it with a remarkable meekness. Well, I want you to see with me real quickly how to resolve some of this tension. Because if you read Isaiah as a whole, you are waiting for a mighty king, but you're also waiting for a servant. And if you read Isaiah as a whole, Israel, God's people, they're God's special agent servants, but there's this other servant. How do you resolve those tensions? I think one of the most, the clearest places to see all those tensions resolved is actually in Jesus' baptism. Will you flip back with me in your worship, God? We read about that for our New Testament reading today, our gospel reading. And that will be on page six in your worship God or Mark one in your Bible. You can look at it, but let me just remind you what happened. John the Baptist was a prophet kind of like Isaiah. He goes out in the wilderness and he's basically saying to Israel, to God's covenant people, back to your beginnings, O Israel. Remember when Yahweh read the, read, led you through the wilderness and through the sea? We're going to go back near the Jordan in the wilderness. It's a restart, but you're wicked. So I'm announcing a baptism for the repentance of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And guess what happened? The people came to him in droves. The people came from Jerusalem and Judea and all around admitting they were part of the problem. Saying, yes, 
We need forgiveness. We must repent. We are not right. We're crooked. How can we bear God's gracious plans and purposes to the nations when we're so crooked ourselves? So they went out to John and they were baptized by John. Well, here's what's amazing. God's own son in our humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ, went out to John as well in the wilderness to be baptized. This is where you bring in all the brokenness of Israel, God's servant, into this special individual servant and put them together. Jesus went out and identified with Israel. Jesus went out and identified with God's covenant people at their slash our worst. Jesus went out, they were crooked, he was straight, but he said, no, baptize me too. Jesus went out, they were guilty, he was innocent, but he said, baptize me too. Jesus went out and said, yes, Israel has failed miserably. He had not failed. He said, yes, baptize me too. See what Jesus, this servant is doing? He's identifying with God's people at our worst. And so he steps into the waters of baptism, identifying with us saying, yes, I've come to make them clean. I've come to take all of that sin and rebellion on myself and they shall be clean. And when Jesus does that, when he identifies with us at our worst, the heavens break open. They're torn open and the spirit of God, like Isaiah 42 verse one said, the spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven, like Isaiah had had a heavenly vision, a voice from heaven says, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Which alludes to Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm about the son being the king. And Isaiah 42, 1, God is deeply pleased with him. So in this passage, you see those two tensions resolved. Jesus is Israel in a person and he's willing to take the sin and guilt of Israel upon himself, including yours and mine. And when this father speaks from heaven, he's basically in a surprising way saying, yeah, this is the true king you've been waiting for. And he's my servant. What do you love more than seeing someone who's very powerful, very influential, take all that power and influence and bend down and give it away to someone who's weak and hopeless? It's beautiful and we love it because it's like a picture of our savior. Jesus is the true king. He's already come in his first advent. He'll come again in his second advent and he's shown us a beautiful way to live out our relationship with him. Just real quickly, last time ending it. Those who are rescued by a servant who gave his life away for us in love when we were crooked and he were straight. We who identify with him are invited by our union with him, by our relationship with him to vote for his justice reaching the nations. His righteousness, his good ways. The coastlands are still waiting for his teaching to reach them. You and I are invited, we who enjoy this rescue from this servant king we're invited to embody his ways to one another to our neighbors and to the nations he will faithfully bring forth justice somewhat a little bit through us he will bring forth justice to the nations he will do it until he's established justice in the earth 
in just a minute, we'll pray to that end when we take his prayer upon our lips. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent your son to be the true king and the servant to give his life for us. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we draw near to you now by faith. Since you cherish us as your bride, nourish us now for your purposes. Amen.